Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Hello to all my listeners, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and my show is brought to you by my company. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people communicate with each other at work. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am so delighted and excited to have as my guest, Connie St. John. Connie, welcome to my show. Oh, Meredith, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, before we even get started with your introduction, we need to give a shout out to our wonderful friend and colleague, Libby Gill, because she's the one that introduced us. And that was at my request after hearing you on her Mm -hmm. podcast. And I thought, oh, Connie is someone I want to get to know. And I'm so glad to have you as part of my world now. And my audience will be happy to have (laughs) you in their world, too, after they hear our conversation. Connie has more than 25 years of experience working with a wide variety of cultural influencers, including Fortune 50 companies, historic nonprofits, notable entertainment companies, churches, and media moguls. She heads the St. John Consulting Group, which specializes in team building workshops and retreats, employee engagement, leadership development, executive coaching, and do you call this Jedi training? I do, Connie. I love that. It's (laughs) justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So you can't forget Jedi. That's great. And (laughs) Connie is also the president of No Weapon Productions, which specializes in change your life entertainment for film, television, stage productions, and live events. All of this is to say Connie is a very busy woman. (laughs) You've got these two companies that really each represents full-time work, St. John Consulting Group and No Weapon Productions. So tell us a little bit more about each of them, Connie, and why you're so passionate about devoting energy to them. Oh, thank you for asking that, Meredith. Um, so I'll start with No Weapon Productions because actually it's been, it, it's the longer of the two. So that one's been 20, 20 years. Um, Change Your Life Entertainment is what we focus on. And it, it came about because I had a baby and my baby, there was just nothing that I wanted them to see. There was nothing on television because that was really the start, if you remember, of all of the reality television shows. And it just wasn't child friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there weren't television shows or movies at that moment that I was comfortable with my child seeing. And so in looking at it historically, what has been most popular, what has had the biggest box office, what has had the highest ratings, it's always family friendly. And so I couldn't understand why are we focusing somewhere else where what people really want to see is wholesome entertainment, things that change your life, things that feel good. And so No Weapon Productions was created initially to do family-friendly entertainment. And that's what we were initially, was family-friendly entertainment. But what happened was, as I started doing stage plays and film and whatnot, 
people would come to me five or 10 years later and say, oh my gosh, that show you did change my life. And I kept hearing this production that you did change my life. I still quote those lines. I still, you know, say these things and do those things. It changed my life. And so we changed our tagline to change your life entertainment because we realized, of course, entertainment does have the power to change lives. So that's why we we did that. Um, that's why it's the tagline. And I love the work that I do with No Weapon Productions. It's it, it helps feed my creative side. But it's funny, I'm both a left and right brain person in college. I majored in computer science and theater because I really do think both logically and creatively. And I was a math major in high school. I mean, I really am right down the middle, left and right brain. So my consulting group, um, I found that I can come into an organization, whether I'm working for them or they hire me as a consultant, and I happen to notice patterns, patterns of behavior, patterns of, of systems, things that aren't quite working well or things that are being repeated over and over again, but they're starting, they're reinventing the wheel each time, but you notice the pattern of, of the, the system, the pattern of the communication. So that's how it began was at, at my time at Columbia Pictures Television, at my time, even with Oprah, who is a well-oiled machine, and she was when I got there. Um, I started on the day that she launched the book club. So this was a big deal. But what was really interesting, so I, I managed, I was senior manager of, of her publicity, and not just for the show, but for her personally as well. And I got there, and let's say, I want to say we had maybe Tiger Woods on <clears throat> one episode, and then a couple months later, we had Michael Jordan. And I said, okay, well, let's pull that same media list that we use for Tiger. Let's pull the sports media. And someone said, oh, we didn't save that. We just used it for that one time. Oh, no. Okay. And so putting the systems in place where media was, you know, cataloged, so you were pulling the same types of reporters, things that when you say it sound really basic. But at the time, because you're just working and, and often people in corporations are just working. They're just trying to get the job done. They're putting the fire out, they're doing the thing. They're not thinking I'm doing this exact same thing that I did last week or last month. And so I'm able to come in and help them see that. So that's part of the work that I do. But the other part of it is engagement. I'm, I, I love engaging people. I love getting people excited about things. I think innovatively and creatively, I use that part to say, okay, here's this new thing that we need to do, or here's this system we need to implement, and I'm gonna get you fired up about it. I'm gonna show you how to do it in a way that just engages you. So I work on that as well. Um, and so my, my work at St. John Consulting Group is really important to me because I help organizations work more efficiently. And um, I help them be more engaged. And I work mostly with cultural influencers, with leaders who typically the company is stalled for some reason and they don't know why or there's a problem that they can't fix or they're a new leader and they want to know how do i come in and make a difference right from the start and i can help them with that because it's always it's often the same types of strategies that you're using it's mm -hmm. about communication clarity and conflict resolution mm -hmm. so if there's a problem you're dealing with the conflict resolution part but when they first come in or when the company is stalled, it's almost always communication or clarity. So I use those things to help them function more efficiently.
I love all of that. And I want to key in on that phrase you use, cultural influencers. Let's define that for my audience. What do you mean by that? And why do you focus on them? Why is that particular type of organization important to you? Well, what what I how I define cultural influencers are um, people or organizations that are truly influencing the country or the world. And I've had the great fortune to work for those types of companies my whole career. So from Columbia TriStar Television to Turner Broadcasting to Oprah to Sara Lee Corporation, the, the companies and the people that I've worked for have been influencers. Churches, I've been hired by churches, a group of 21 churches to overhaul what they're doing. So I have a unique ability and I'm really grateful for it to be able to talk to leaders as though they're regular people because of course we know they are. However, most people are intimidated to talk to, for instance, a pastor of a mega church or um, a president of a studio or Oprah or, um, I do a lot of work also with art schools because these are the new cultural influencers. These are the students and the, the leaders of the students who are going to be creating more cultural influencers. So I work with them because I have a unique way of talking to them. I'm not intimidated by them. I recognize that they need, they need assistance too. They sometimes need a consultant or they need direction and they're not able to just ask anybody because they've got this position to uphold. They have to always look like they're doing great and they're in charge and they don't have any questions and everything is going well. So most people are too intimidated, certainly their staff, to come to them and say, here's what you can do to make things better. But even with their colleagues, typically um, when somebody else comes in from the outside to tell them what to do, they have an agenda. Um, that's a personal, you know, financial or power agenda. I don't have an agenda. I'm only there to help them. I, I don't want their company. I don't want to do what they're doing. I just want to help them be better. I want to help them either come in with a bang or go out with a bang. So uh, whatever it is that they're trying to do, and I'm not intimidated by, um, by who they are because I recognize they're just regular people. Um, I work with them specifically and, and almost exclusively because of that skill because most people can't. So when somebody comes to me and says, oh, I've got a friend and they run the Piggly Wiggly and can you consult with them? They don't need me. They don't, they don't need my skill. They, they can, there's another consultant that can help the smaller companies. And, and I don't need to necessarily do that. Um, when it's a friend or somebody needs a, you know, something like that, I'm always, always happy to help when it's a buddy. But I will say, um, because I do work only by referral, and because the, the clients are such big clients who have such influence, I don't often have time to work on the, the, um, the smaller organizations and they don't need me. That, that's what I'm saying is they don't actually need me. They, they, mm -hmm. I have colleagues I can refer them to that can, that can help them. But for those people who are influencers, they can't go to just any consultant to get help. They have to be really careful. And because of my background in working in, in publicity and public relations, media relations and understanding um, discretion, 
and confidentiality and knowing that anytime you open your mouth back in the day it could be on the front page of the newspaper now it can be a headline on online um, there's a, a discretion that I always use and I have because I've worked with the the caliber of people and, and the level of people that I've worked with. I mean, you know, you work with a mega church, you, you can't talk about what's going on behind the scenes with them. Yeah. Well, you know what it's sounding like you are such a trusted advisor and I can see where because of who you are uh, and what you do for organizations that that the referrals come because there is such a, a smaller pool to, to draw from with the unique background that you have in corporate in these specific areas that are so important to them. I know, Connie, there are so many questions I have for you. Before we go down any of the other paths, though, I want you to tell my audience about your one of your current projects that is close to your heart and mine and will be, I know, as people hear about it related to bullying. So talk about your bully project. Absolutely. So um, it's called uh, the Don't Be a Bully Project and we have a 30 minute musical that goes into middle schools where bullying is the biggest, but statistically it's the worst in middle school. Doesn't mean that it doesn't start in elementary, doesn't mean that it doesn't carry over to, to high school, but it's statistically the worst in middle school. So what we're doing is working with art schools around the country to produce and and go in. So these art school students, high school students, go into middle schools in their community and present this production. And we're starting with arts high schools to present it because they've got they're used to it. They they have the budget. They're used to doing productions. But we intentionally are selecting high schools to go into middle schools because of the role model aspect. Mm. And that was just really important. Typically, I do regular stage productions, not musicals, but I recognize that music, you know, songs become an earworm, as they call it, where you can't get it out of your head. Mm -hmm. So we've got some amazing original music that goes with, we don't do that here, where the kids can't get it out of their head. And that's what we want. So um, the goal is uh, we don't we don't call bullies bullies. We call them culprits. We don't call them victims. We call them targets. And then we turn onlookers into interveners. Mm. And we're working with a school already here in Washington, D.C., where I'm based, Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And we're working with a school in Los Angeles, L.A. County High School for the Arts, which is the number one arts school in the country. And each of them have done um, a workshop on this, the making of, and they've done some short video for us. And it's been amazing. And hearing them talk about their middle school days of, of recognizing a bully and how they decided to intervene or how they were afraid to intervene, it, it's been so powerful. It's, it's life-changing for the high school students who are performing it, but it's also life change for the middle school students who are seeing it. And we've already been asked, when it, when is it coming to the elementary schools? So um, it's been really exciting. We've got a lot of individual contributors who are supporting us. And then we're targeting corporate sponsors because we don't want the schools to pay a dime for this. We want them to be able to have this production in those middle schools without any cost to them so that it can start changing the behavior. 
and we've got a, a pre uh, piece that we do where we prep them for the show coming. Then we've got the show and a talk back. And then afterwards, we have some tools that they can use in the classroom and some things they can do in the school to keep the message going and keep um, you know, that anti-bullying message going in their school. So it really is powerful. And I'm excited to share with you, Meredith, we got to present in Chicago last, in October, Chicago in October, um, at the Art School Network Conference, the national conference. And we presented, we had a 90 minute presentation with art schools from around the country, showing them clips of this, walking them through the program, helping them understand how it will transform their schools. And it went so well. It went so, so well. So we um, we're so excited to roll it out around the country. Our goal is to see it in every middle school in the country. And, oh, I love uh, that. I was just going to ask you about your vision because I know you never think small. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew it was, that is so awesome. And what a great opportunity for you to be able to present to your ideal prospects. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. So for me, um, the reason that it became so important for me to do this project is just seeing the numbers of bullying go up and seeing the number of suicides. And we just had one last week as well, a 10-year-old girl who committed suicide due to bullying. I get goosebumps every time I say it because I, I, I can't, our babies just can't, I, we can't keep losing our babies. And I will tell you what woke me up in the night when I started working on this project was thinking about torture tactics, torture techniques. I looked them up online. And if you compare side by side torture techniques and bully tactics, they're almost identical. And, and these are CIA torture techniques. And you know, you think about Chinese water torture as they call it. And that's the same as poking a kid or kicking their seat. <clears throat> it's a psychological form of torture that is used by the CIA. Um, they have other things that are so similar. If you look at, if you, I, and I do that in my presentation, I put those slides side by side so you can see how similar it is. And these are soldiers trained to withstand that. And we're talking about our babies who are dealing with that. And, you know, it made me wonder, did they develop these torture techniques based on the trauma they had as a child and bullying? I mean, really? it just makes you wonder. Mm -hmm. So it's unbelievable how similar, how similar it is. And, you know, from psychological to physical torture, it's so similar to the psychological and physical bullying tactics. So. Wow. There's so many ways we could go with this, Connie. I want to pause and, and think about the workplace, because we do have bullying that happens there. And I would be, I think it would be really beneficial to my audience to hear, how do you advise or work with an organization when you detect that there is a bully in the midst of the, the people you're working with, that you know that that's an aspect? How do you go about addressing that so that you know, <clears throat> all these people that aren't going to be able to go through the middle school program that are now in the workplace, what can you advise for people who are dealing with that today? Well, it all comes back to leadership and the values of the organization. And that's one of the things that I work with leaders and CEOs and um, 
their their core group of leaders, I explained to them, when you don't enforce a value, then it's not really a value. And so if you say that your value is to respect everyone and to have um, a respectful culture or a friendly or warm culture in your workplace, um, a culture of, of um, integrity, but you don't enforce it, then that's not really a value. And I, I have to take it right back to the leader. And I tell them, you've got horizontal and you've got vertical leadership. So the vertical leadership is the group of leaders at the top who are saying, these are our values and we um, they communicate those going down to the organization. But the horizontal leadership or the horizontal culture can take out an organization just as fast, if not faster, than having bad vertical leadership. Because when horizontal is bad, when it's coworker to coworker, or you've got a, a mid-level manager who's abusing their number two or their staff, and no one's doing that from the vertical side, so horizontally, it's just messy, and you're losing people on that horizontal level, um, it still goes back to vertical, and it goes back to, are you enforcing the values that you say your organization has? And when you hear that there's someone who's being a bully and they wouldn't say that in the workplace, they might say abusive or hostile work environment and recognizing you can be sued for that. You can be sued for a hostile work environment. You're gonna lose people and not just the employees, but an employee who's being abused by their boss or by their coworkers is going to impact your bottom line. Their work is not going to be the same or if they deal with customers or clients, they won't have the same positive attitude that you would want them to have in dealing with customers or clients. So it affects everything. It affects not only the people who work in the organization, but also those they serve. So I go back to, you're saying that this is your value, how are you enforcing it? And when somebody breaches that value, what are you doing? There has to be a repercussion, otherwise it's not really a value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many times part of what works for a bully is the intimidation mm -hmm. where people don't feel that it's safe or okay to bring it up. Obviously, they won't feel comfortable bringing it up to the individual or oftentimes they don't. So what do you recommend for addressing this? Who needs to be the one to really shine a light on it and to whom? So even, and this applies in organizations as well as in schools, you have to have a place where people can confidentially say what's happening. And, and this is where interveners come up. So if somebody sees this, they also need to be able to say, I witnessed this, this is not okay. So in schools, they now have it where um, it's digital. You can send an email, so you don't have to worry about a Dropbox and somebody seeing you put something in the Dropbox, but you can send emails and there are confidential ways that you can report things where you stay completely anonymous. And that's the case even in, they have those kinds of systems in the workplace as well, where you can report anonymous abuse, um, you know, or abuse anonymously. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's important that the leaders communicate to their team as a whole, as well as to those who report to them, this is something that we don't tolerate. And if ever you see this, here's where you can report it and we will take action. And um, you know, the reason that people 
as you said, Meredith, the reason people don't say things is they're worried about the backlash. They're worried, they're, they're afraid. First of all, there's the intimidation. If you say anything, I'm gonna fire you. Well, that's what abusers say to children. If you say anything, I'm gonna do this to your parents or you know, I'm gonna beat you up even more or whatever it might be. And you know, even with my child, I taught my child, if somebody ever tells you, don't tell your parents or else, that's immediate code word to tell your parents. And so same with the organization. If somebody intimidates you and says, you know, if you do this, if you tell, or if you say anything, then that, that has to be a code phrase for say something, because you're not going to be the only one who's dealing with that. And the leaders have to make that clear. They have to watch for it. You know, one of the things that we did, and again, you know, I love these innovative um, uh, strategies. So when we were in Chicago, one of the teachers was, was frustrated that um, one of the slides says only one in every 25 incidents is caught or seen by the teacher. They only observe only one in every 25. And she said, that's really hard for me to, to, to not just believe, but to think about. So what I did was during a, a portion of the presentation that was about 15 minutes long, at the beginning of that portion, we gave each of them an index card that said, while the speaker is speaking, count, notice and count how many people adjust their masks. Or a card might say, notice and count how many times people cross their legs. Notice and count how many times the speaker smiles. And so we did it just for a very controlled time period. It was about 15 minutes and the speaker was engaging with them and talking to them, one of my colleagues. And then that part ended and I, I ended that part and I said, okay, now you all have these cards in your hand. Tell me what you noticed. And they started saying, I noticed that people adjusted their masks 35 times, but I was so busy counting the mask adjustments that I forgot to listen to the speaker. Or I was so busy listening to the speaker that I forgot to notice how many times people were nodding their head or crossing their legs. And I explained to them, this is why, and, and, and the teacher knew immediately, she said, this is why we only catch one in every 25 because we're busy teaching math and we're focusing on that one thing and we're not noticing these other things that might be going on. And I said, that's exactly right, but that's even in the workplace. We're there to do the job, we're there to make the widgets or sell the stuff. And we're so busy selling that we're not paying attention to microaggressions or intimidating words or disrespectful behavior. And we have to do both as leaders, especially as leaders. You have to pay attention to the culture. You have to pay attention to the culture. That's one of the things that I talk about in, in when I'm training my leaders is helping them know you set the tone in your organization, but you have to pay attention to the tone. You have to know when it's not working. You have to you have to feel it. And I know you're busy trying to make sure everything else is going right, but if you don't pay attention to that as well, you're going to miss something that can be detrimental to the organization. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a little example. Please. <laughs> so um, my my I, I live in DC now, but my last job when I was in California was to run a music school. And the music school was open. It became open Monday through Saturday. When I started, it was open Wednesday through Saturday, but it just grew and grew and grew. So that was wonderful. So we're open Monday through Saturday, but, but the classes typically started about three o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday and went until eight, sometimes a little earlier. But that meant that we would come in much earlier. We'd set the tone. We'd have classical music 
playing and all of that Monday through Friday. It was just lovely. We'd come in and the families would come in and it was so lovely. But Saturdays, when I first started working there, Saturdays were chaos. People were waiting at the door. When the staff got there, they'd run in, they'd get to their classes. There was tension, you know, there's arguments and people were fussing. And I looked at it and I thought, what in the world is happening on Saturdays? And I realized it's because we're not coming in early enough to set the tone, to change the tone. So everybody had to come in an hour earlier, which I knew, I know it's early, but come in. We'd come in, we'd buy donuts, we'd put out snacks. They were Saturday treats. We have the we had a little Victrola and we put on our little classical music in the in the uh, it was in a Victorian style house it was beautiful so we'd have that in in the sitting room and music was playing the smells were good you can see the donuts we had fruit and so they first came in and they said we've got coffee we have tea look at there's a there's a little donut but it changed it in one Saturday Meredith mm. in one Saturday everything changed. And we continue to keep up that Saturday tone. Everybody knew if you come in late, you don't have a chance to set the tone. And as a leader, you have to set the tone. Otherwise, the crowd sets it for you and you don't want that. So Saturdays became just as pleasant as every other day. And that was paying attention as a leader, as the head of the school. If I was just busy making sure the lessons got done, then I would have missed that. I would have missed something doesn't feel right. There's tension on this day, but it was my job to pay attention to it and to fix it. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a profound story, <clears throat> an example. And, and I think one of the most powerful points there is how fast it happened. Yep. And so let's take that to situations. Cause I know you do a lot of work with people who are getting ready to assume a senior leadership role like CEO. And so what are some of the things, tips that you could share with my listeners that would be helpful for them that would allow them to have that kind of a transformational shift quickly to become more aware, to notice and pay attention? Because especially for people that may be coming from that left brain side, the numbers, you know, whether it's sales numbers or or the financial person, what are some things that you do to help them attend to and notice those kinds of things that you just mentioned that really are so important? So when I, when I first start with um, a leader and when I'm doing leadership training, I use something interesting. I use jigsaw puzzles. And, um, and I use them as an exercise, but I also use them as an illustration. And I will hold up a jigsaw puzzle and I'll say to them, this is your vision. So you have to know your whole vision and your job is to keep this vision in front of your team at all times and be able to say, um, this department, you're working on this piece over here. You over here, you're working on that. This is what you're working on. You're working on this. Now, the reason I use jigsaw puzzles First of all, I love them. But secondly, uh, the way I use them, and I just did this recently with um, and my client in Texas, what I do is I take children's puzzles that maybe have 20 pieces. I put them in a baggie, I don't give them the box, and I've switched out one piece in every bag. So there are maybe six teams, 
And so I have six baggies and I just put them in, in each group of three or four people and say, here you go. And they open that bag and they just start putting pieces together. And then I'm listening. And finally, somebody will say, I wonder what we're making. And I tell everybody, stop. That's a great question. What are we making? And as a leader, it's, I said, that's all you had to do. Just ask. First of all, your employees need to ask if you don't show it. But as a leader, you should show it. So then I get out the boxes of the puzzles and say, here's your vision. Here's what you're making. Here's what you're making. Here's what you're making. And they get, as soon as one person asks, I wonder what we're making, I give everybody the picture. Then they realize, wait, this, this piece doesn't go with our puzzle. And so then they start realizing we must have a piece, and somebody has a piece of ours. Then they start working with each other to figure out who's got our piece and whose piece do we have. And I tell them, this is important because every department, every you know ministry, if it's a church, every department, if it's an organization is going to touch. Every position overlaps with another and you have to recognize that you're all going to work together. And then I tell all the leaders and your job is, I said, it's fine when you have 20 pieces, you can pretty much figure it out. But when you have a thousand, you're not gonna be able to do that. And an organization is probably 30,000 pieces. So your job is at all times to make sure this is what we're putting together. You hold it up in front of them and say, are you clear on what you're putting together? Do you have any questions? How are you feeling about your progress? And as a leader, if you don't know that picture, if you don't have the full picture of what you're putting together, your team is not going to function properly. So the first thing I do in working with the leader is say exactly what you said a moment ago. Connie, I knew you had a vision. Absolutely. And I should be able to say, yes, Meredith, this is my vision. And leaders have to be able to say, this is my vision. This is what I see for the organization. This is what I want it to be. Okay, now we take that vision and we figure out who's responsible for these particular pieces. And that jigsaw puzzle analogy, it is priceless and unforgettable. Everybody remembers it because they get, when they start to hear, and I tell the leaders, when you start to hear confusion, but wait, I don't understand why, but wait, what about, or I thought I was, that means you're not doing this often enough. You've got to come back to the vision and say, okay, I hear you're confused. Let's go back to the vision that we have. Here's what we're trying to do. And um, I will say, when I was in Texas and I did that exercise, we, we did a, a mission statement exercise and somebody said, I think that it's supposed to be in this order. So the mission statement was the mission statement. And one of the team members thought it's supposed to be in this order, but we had the leader in the room. And so they're arguing amongst themselves. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop you. We've got the author of the mission statement in the room. Whenever you're not clear and you've got the author, ask the author. And I said, author, leader, what is it supposed to be? And he clarified. And then they start, okay, but I think we, and then we have a comma here and then this, you know, uh, hold on. And so then they did it and they were like, wait, we've got them in the room. Are we supposed to have a comma there? Is there supposed to be a dash in between these words? They, literally, once you understand vision like that and the people understand that the leader has the vision and can communicate it to them, then they know I can ask them and the leader knows I can give the answer. So I always start there. That's so great. And what you're really talking about there is this is a living, breathing 
entity. Uh, the puzzle is absolutely brilliant. I bet you every one of my listeners could think of a way they could apply a jigsaw puzzle to a variety of things that they're doing. Just that whole exercise was so fabulous. Let's tie this now into this whole focus you have of engaging people, because you've talked about vision and the leader has to be clear and has to communicate that clearly. What is it that pulls people's hearts and minds into the process that causes them to want to go all in to contribute to make that vision a reality? It goes back to value. You have to value your team members. You have to show them the part that they play and then let them know how valuable that part is and how valuable they are for contributing that part. You have to make sure that you're, you stay open to new ideas. And so um, one of the things, and I can use the same client, one of the things that we did where they recognized their value to the mission was we went around the room and with the, with the mission statement on the board in front of them, I said to them, tell me how in the past week you helped to fulfill the mission. And then they thought for a moment and said, oh, well, I did so-and-so and so-and-so and so. And they realized that, you know, I, and it, this particular client is a church. So they could talk about, you know, um, in, in running the children's ministry, we taught this, 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 and that and the other. Or our, my job is technology. And because of the technology, I was able to make sure that um, our virtual listeners and virtual you know, audience could do this, this, that, and the other. And they went one by one and said how they fulfilled the mission, what part they played in fulfilling that mission. And it was not only valuable for them, but it was valuable for the leader to recognize. And of course, we should always know that everybody has a role to play as it relates to you know, the mission. But, but to hear them recognize how they were tied to it was mm -hmm. really key. And it made them feel valued and it made them engaged. So um, it, was, it was amazing. And I, I've done that not only you know, there, but when I worked with Duke Ellington School of the Arts here as well, same thing, going around the room. What have you, you know, what have you done this past week when I'm talking to the educators or the administrators that helps fulfill the role of the school and or the mission of the school? Mm -hmm. And that piece is really important. Mm -hmm. And it, it really does engage them and makes them feel valued. Absolutely. Well, I love that you tied the va feeling valued in with engaging because just there's a bigger meaning to engagement. I think that word has been overused many times to not adequately describe what really goes on. Connie, we could, I know, keep talking for hours. You are just so fascinating and you're such a fountain of knowledge, wisdom, and just amazing insights about people and, and how they need to work together and especially with leaders. We are going to need to wrap up though. So I would love for you to tell my listeners, how can they connect with you and learn more about the various services that you offer? Um, thank you for offering that Meredith. So um, I have two websites, one for each company. So noweaponproductions.com and there is no S on weapon. So it is noweaponproductions with an S.com. 
and you can go there to find out the types of projects we're working on creatively and how we're changing life through entertainment. And then um, St. John Consulting Group, S-T-J-O-H-N, consultinggroup.com is my consulting company. And you're welcome to reach out to me there. Um, and depending on what you need, I might be able to assist or at least direct you to someone who can. Thank you, Connie. I love all the different ways you're having such a positive impact in the world. And I just want to acknowledge you for being an extraordinary human being. So thank you for being on my show and, and being a part of my world now. I really appreciate you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Meredith, for inviting me. This was wonderful. And you're wonderful to do this to help grow strong leaders. It's so important. So thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.